we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. It's on page 814 if you're in that pew Bible. And as you turn there, a couple of things. Uh, There's a Bible reading plan. We would love to engage God's Word together as a family this year. And so we did New Testament last year. We're going to make a run at the entire Bible this year. If that feels overwhelming, the reading is organized into two sections, an Old Testament and a New Testament. But I want to invite you to jump into that with us. There's a printed uh, copy of that. Um, I think we emailed one to you if you're on our email list. And once our website is working again, you can download one from there. But um, you can grab one of those paper copies. We'd love for you to jump in there. And so we want to help you be in God's Word and also help you with community so you don't feel alone. So groups will be starting up soon. Um, Adam will tell us more in the weeks ahead. But I um, want to kind of give you hope that, like, you don't have to navigate this whole thing by yourself. So I want to give you those encouragements. Okay, this is Matthew chapter 9. It's on page 814 in that Black Pew Bible. When I get done reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you're comfortable, you can just reply, thanks be to God, as a way of just saying, like, God has spoken to us. Because these passages are pretty intense, so let's hear, hear his word. This is Matthew 9, starting in verse 18. While he, Jesus, was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went out throughout all the district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He's cast out demons by the prince of demons. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. Uh, My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Community Church, and it is uh, my joy to share uh, from this passage that we just read. I'll be honest with you, um, a couple months ago when I had this uh, passage assigned to me, we have a sermon calendar, and when I got this passage assigned to me, started walking through the passage a little bit, and I was like, oh no. Uh, Because as Chris just said, This is a pretty intense uh, 
passage of scripture, one, because we have these different scenes of Jesus' healing, but then we also have phrases of healing and faith. And so there's just a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of uh, questions that come with that, maybe even doubts, um, maybe some apprehension, even as we approach this passage. Like I've, I've wrestled with that over the last couple of months. And so I know when we hear this, this a passage like this, it, it can be a little bit unsettling. And so, um, but I, I am excited after spending two months, I have a huge advantage. You've heard this passage maybe just for a few minutes. I have a huge advantage because I've been sitting in this for a couple of months. And so I am really excited though to see um, what we can together as a a church community and family to walk through uh, this passage together and see what what God has for us. So as we do that, let's pray. Let's ask the Spirit for help because we're going to need it as we walk through this passage together. So let's pray one more time together. Jesus, we need your help. We always need your help. Um, But we we really um, need your help as we walk through this passage of Scripture. There's just a lot here, and there's a lot to unpack. And even in the next like 25 to 30 minutes, um, I feel a little bit of a, a, a tension of where do we even start and, and, and how do we even approach this in 30 minutes. And so Holy Spirit, I pray you'd give us help. I pray you'd open our eyes to your words. That way when we walk our, away from here, that you would grow our trust. Jesus, give us capacity to trust you more this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So today we continue in our series through the Gospel of Matthew, and in Matthew nine eighteen through 34 that we've just heard um, read, we're going to see uh, three scenes. We're going to see three scenes where five people are healed by Jesus. And so as we walk through this account, I want us to do a few things. I want us to put ourselves in these stories I want us to feel the emotion that's going to come through this passage. I want us to hear what people are saying. I also want us to use our imaginations, uh, to imagine what it would be like to be there so that way we can connect our stories, our life journeys, our spiritual journeys to these stories of healing. And then as we connect our stories to these stories of healing, that we would be compelled by the love and compassion that Jesus has for us, and that we would grow in our trust um, of him. Remember, we've seen the last couple of weeks that Jesus is at Matthew's house. He's been teaching on new wine being put uh, put into old wineskins. Stephen walked us through that last week. He's been Jesus has been answering questions about fasting. And in the middle of this teaching, a ruler comes in and kneels before Jesus and tells him that his daughter has just died. Now, I want us to sort of stop for just a brief second, and I want us to feel that for just a moment. This man is a ruler in the synagogue. He's a religious man. He's a man of influence. Mark, in his gospel in chapter 5, he tells us that his name is Jairus and his daughter has just died. Now, can you imagine what this man is going through? His daughter has died. The pain he's going through, the grief he's experiencing, the sadness he's feeling, the despair There's probably some anger mixed into this. There's questions swirling around in his head and then the bargaining going on in him. 
if you've lost someone you love, you might know what this man is going through. There's the pain, there's the grief, sadness, despair, anger, the, the internal bargaining and the desperation and that you would do anything for that person to still be alive. And so Jarius has lost his daughter and all he knows to do is to find Jesus and ask for a miracle. And so verse 18 tells us that he comes in and he kneels before Jesus and pleads with him to save his daughter. And so Jesus gets up from the table and follows, this, the, follows the man with his disciples. So as he's following Jarius the ruler to Jarius' house to, to see the situation, out of nowhere, a woman with an issue of blood reaches out and touches the fringe of Jesus' garment. This blood issue this woman was battling with was probably a chronic bleeding from her womb, and because of this, she was considered unclean. Because according to Jewish law, she was not allowed to go to the temple. She wasn't allowed to participate in Jewish religious life. Um, if you want to take the time, uh, you can read in Leviticus 15 outlines the details of what she would have to go through to be considered clean. But even those rules that are laid out and outlined in Leviticus, it assumes that her bleeding would stop and then she wouldn't be considered unclean anymore. But this poor woman, her bleeding wouldn't stop. And she had been suffering with this for 12 years. Can you imagine what that must have been like for 12 years, for a decade, and then tack on two years? And so all this time, she's considered all unclean, and she's a social outcast because people were afraid to touch her or be around her for fear of defilement. So can you imagine what this woman was going through? The physical pain she was experiencing, the shame, the loneliness, and the frustration she had to have been experiencing. And so this woman with this issue of blood, this chronic bleeding, she's desperate, and she thinks, if I can only touch his garment, if I can only just touch the garment of Jesus, I will be made well. And so in a crowd of people, she reaches out and touches the garment of Jesus. She touches it, and she's immediately healed. And Jesus tells her, your faith has made you well. And because Jesus heals her, we see again, as we've seen the last few weeks, and we've been talking about the authority that Jesus has, we see the authority that Jesus has over physical ailments and, and sickness. But now this narrative keeps moving, and Jesus arrives at the ruler Jairus' house. Remember, Jairus has just come to Jesus, his daughter has died, and so they arrive at Jairus' house, and there's just this really kind of chaotic scene taking place. There's flute players who were paid to play at festive occasions and funerals. You have paid mourners there who, along with the family, they're weeping over this girl who's died. And so Jesus walks up into a funeral, into a funeral scene. It's loud. It's chaotic. And what Jesus was about to do was he was about to reverse the symbolic finality of death and bring hope to despair. So Jesus tells all these people to go away for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And what did what does Matthew tell us that they did? They laughed. They laughed at him. 
Some of the people were probably laughing because of the absurdity that he had said, but also there were probably a lot of people in the crowd that laughed because they're, they might have been thinking, well, here's this great healer, and now he's arrived too late. He says we've seen him heal people. He, he's constantly been healing people, but now he's arrived too late. And now this is just ridiculous what he's saying, that the girl's just asleep. But Jesus goes into the house, and he takes this little girl by the hand, and she rises and is alive. Now let's stop for a moment and sit in the gravity of this moment. Can you imagine the swing of emotions from Jairus the ruler, his wife, and the girl's, and the girl's mother? Can you imagine the swing of emotion to go from absolute despair to losing your child, your child has died, to, to go from absolute despair to pure joy. She's alive. And of course, the news of this spreads throughout the region. And so because Jesus raises this girl from the dead, we again see his authority. This time it's even more dramatic and amazing because he displays his authority over death. Then in verse 27, apparently Jesus is leaving Jairus, the ruler's house, and he's going back to Matthew's house. And on his way out of the crowds of people that are gathering around Jesus, they're following Jesus, out of these, these crowds, two blind men cry out. They cry out and they say, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, what's kind of interesting in, is that this is the first time that this title is given to Jesus. And as we continue on in our series in Matthew, we're going to see Matthew start using this title in his writing eight more times. But by using this title for Jesus, there's no doubt that these blind men were confessing Jesus as the Messiah. They may have been physically blind, and there was a lot culturally that went with that because they would have been social outcasts, just like the woman with chronic bleeding, but though, they lay, but though they were blind, they had spiritual insight because they knew who Jesus was. And if Jesus was really the Messiah, then they could expect to receive their sight. So Jesus enters the house, the blind men approach him, and Jesus asks them a question. He says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Man, Jesus, he drills down to the heart of the issue. It's, it's a pretty revealing question because it reveals that their cries of have mercy on us, son of David, was not just a cry of desperation. This was a, a cry of faith and to show that their faith just wasn't at directed at God alone, but to who Jesus was and his power of authority as the Messiah. And so their title of son of David was spot on and declared Jesus as Messiah. We even need to wrestle with this question. And we will talk about this here in just a second. But do you believe that I'm able to do this? I think that's the question that we're all confronted with. And these blind men, they answered yes. And Jesus touched their eyes saying in verse 29 of Matthew 9, he says, according to your faith, be it done to you. Now, we're going to come back to this phrase in just a minute. But their eyes, they're open and they can see. So Jesus, in bringing sight to these blind, man, blind men, 
displays his power over physical disabilities. We've seen just in this passage, Jesus display his, his power and authority over physical ailments and sickness. We see Jesus display his power over death. And now we see Jesus displaying his, uh, his power over physical disabilities. And it's a little bit funny in this passage because what does Jesus tell them to do? He tells them, don't tell anyone. Jesus says, keep this under wraps. Keep this to yourself. Don't tell anyone about this. But what do they do? They immediately go out and they tell everyone. It's almost like they can't help themselves. They just go out and they tell everyone. Then we keep going through this passage. And I'm telling you, this, this feels like a lot. So stay with me. Then... A, a, a man who's demon-possessed, and because of his demon possession, is mute. He's not able to speak. So this demon-possessed man is brought to Jesus, and Jesus casts out the demon. So now we have, we have uh, Jesus rising girls, little girls from the dead. We have women with chronic bleeding being healed by Jesus. We have blind men being healed by Jesus. And now we have a demon-possessed man getting a demon cast out. Like, I'm telling you, this is a really intense passage of Scripture. And so Jesus casts the demon out. And now Jesus displays his power over uh, power and authority over demons and Satan. And the people in the crowd obviously were blown away. They're blown away. Except the Pharisees. Because down in verse 34 they say he casts out demons by the prince of demons. What are they accusing Jesus of? They're accusing Jesus that he is using demonic power to be casting out the demon. So now Jesus is being accused of being demon-possessed. And so in these miracles, these accounts of healing, we see the authority of Jesus continue to be displayed. And then in the last few weeks, as we've, as we've together been walking through Matthew 8 and 9, we've seen Matthew communicate and give evidence of the authority that Jesus has But now we have this authority of Jesus being displayed and shown. But there's also in that, now there's rising conflict. Not everyone is excited about this declaration of his power and authority. And so now there's an attempt, and this is just only going to escalate as we continue in Matthew. Now there is an attempt to malign and discredit him. And when we see Jesus throughout the Gospels perform miracles... It is often met with opposition, conflict, and even tension. But honestly, I think if we're honest, when we hear these accounts of Jesus' miracles and his healing, we have some internal conflict as well. There's some tension that we feel. There's some questions we might have. There's, there's probably some doubts that come to our mind. It could be that we don't want anyone to have authority over our lives. I mean, in our culture, we're taught to to live pretty autonomously. And so this idea that Jesus has authority over our lives, like there's some pushback there. We we don't want that. It could be here, it could be that you're here this morning 
or you're watching online and you hear this idea of Jesus having a power and authority over this physical world, but also over the spiritual world and ultimately our lives, and, and we don't want that. And so this morning, you could be asking your, yourself the question, is Jesus even worthy of the authority in my life? Is he even worthy of that? Is Jesus trustworthy? Is he good enough to have authority in my life? And if you're asking that yourself that question, like, let me just encourage you. Like, this is a really safe place to have those questions. I, me, myself, even personally, I am very, very grateful for this church family. It has been a safe enough place for me to ask and to wrestle with some really hard questions. It could be that maybe you're not necessarily wrestling with the authority of Jesus in your life, but there's still maybe some conflict in our hearts over the healing of Jesus. Because here's the reality for all of us. We're all in need of healing. Some of us need physical healing. You might be here and, and, and you are in need of physical healing. Maybe you've been battling some health issue for a really long time. Some of us have gone through some really hard emotional things. It could be the passing of a loved one and then having to endure and go through the grueling grief process and the, the chronic emotional pain of losing someone you love. I know, I've, I've been there. It's really hard. It could be the loss of a marriage. What you thought was going to be a, a lifelong relationship, it's, it's now over. And with that, the dream of, li- of what life was going to be, that dream is now over. So there's healing that's needed. It could be the loss of a church family. I know that there are many here today where in the past year, the last 12 to 18 to 24 months, you've lost your faith community. A place that you thought was safe, a place that you were spiritually and emotionally invested in, you've only come to realize was not a safe place for you and your family, and with that comes deep wounding and scarring. And it could be that from what you've been through, that even sitting here right now, it's really hard for you. And I'm really sorry. And there's healing that needs to take place. The list of possibilities of what we need healing from, honestly, it's endless. We could take time and we could spend a lot of time sharing together and unburdening ourselves together what kind of healing we need. But the reality is, is that each one of us, we are in desperate need of healing. It's our shared human experience that we have together. But there's inner conflict because oftentimes this healing is not instantaneous. And so we come to these passages in like Matthew chapter 9 and we, we approach a passage like this and it, and it appears that Jesus is just instantly healing people. He's just snapping his fingers. He's pulling rabbits out of his hat and people are just getting healed. And, and it's not instantaneous for us. Our healing is not in, instantaneous and it's hard and it's painful. And it's, sometimes it doesn't even appear to be happening. The pain, the grief, 
Maybe even the feeling of, of like PTSD is still there. And so then what we, we have this a tendency to do is we might turn to other things to numb that pain that we're experiencing. Whether that be alcohol or sex or pornography or busyness and relationships. But then that just continues a cycle of more needed healing because these substitutes and temporary pain numbers, they don't bring healing And so we sink lower into guilt and shame and we think, what's wrong with me? Do I even have faith or do I even believe in Jesus? And so when we hear Jesus ask these two blind men this question, do you believe that I'm able to do this? We're not even sure we really believe Jesus anymore. We also have have problems with this idea of healing because of what Jesus said in verse 22 to the woman. He said, your faith has made you well. And then in verse 29, to the blind men, he says, according to your faith, be it done to you. And if you're like me, and I've had this thought kind of swirling around in my head the last couple of months. If you're like me and you hear Jesus ask these questions to the blind men and to this woman, you think, oh shoot, my faith isn't very strong. And if my relationship with Jesus is based on the strength of my faith, then I'm in trouble. What did Jesus mean when he said this? We need to talk about this because Jesus, he talks a lot about faith. And as we continue on in Matthew, we're going to hear Jesus circle back to this idea of faith. I mean, we'll see in Matthew 17, verse 20, he tells his disciples, if you have faith as small as a mountain's uh, mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. So when we hear this from Jesus and we think, well, my faith is not strong, what am I supposed to do? Well, let's go back to these accounts and let's camp out for just, just for a few more minutes. Jarius the ruler... The woman with the blood issue, the issue of blood, and the blind men, what they did was show up. And they ask, and they trusted Jesus to do for them whatever he wished to do. So if we're in need of healing, what we need to do first is just show up and ask. And here's what's really beautiful, and I hope that when we leave here, we're, we walk away feeling a feeling of comfort, because here's the beautiful thing. Even their faith to show up and ask and approach Jesus wasn't perfect. A lot of commentators and theologians believe that the woman with the chronic bleeding had a superstitious view of Jesus, that she had heard of others being healed, and she thought, well, maybe I don't even need to approach him. I'll just touch his garment. If I just touch his garment, if I rub his bald head, if I just touch his garment, then I'll be healed. So she didn't have this incredible amount of faith, but she knew she just needed to take one small step and touch his clothes. To show up and ask. Then the blind men, they know and believe that Jesus is Messiah. Like their theology is right in line. Their doctrine's right there. And Jesus heals them. But then what did Jesus tell them to do? He says, don't go tell anyone. 
so that his mission wouldn't be impeded, but they still go out and they, they disobeyed. What did they do? They went out and they told everyone. Even in the middle of their faith, they forgot or disregarded what Jesus told them and did the complete opposite. And I read that, I'm like, I'm in the same camp. Jesus tells me to do something, and I have this tendency to kind of do the complete opposite or do what I think is best. So church family, I think we need to understand something, that our healing and the need of, and the, need of the presence of Christ in our life, lives is not dependent on the amount or strength of our faith. It's just a, the simple act and often the imperfection of asking. So we need to ask. But we also have to wait. And that's a really tough pill to swallow. This woman with the, the chronic bleeding, remember Matthew tells us here in Matthew 9, says that she struggled with this chronic bleeding for 12 years years. Can you imagine for 12 years, day in and day out, for over a decade, this woman dealt with this. She had to wait. These blind men had been blind for a really long time. And so they had to wait for their healing. A couple of months ago, I was talking with a friend of mine and um, they've gone through some really hard things in their life as well, and, and we're talking about healing and the need for, for healing and some of the, the hard emotional things that we've gone through. And in this, in, and in this conversation, we both were kind of like, why doesn't Jesus just heal instantaneously? Why does Jesus put us through this, this process, this, this period of, of waiting for healing? And to be honest, in that conversation, we really didn't come up with a great answer. And so after that conversation, if we talked about it, I started to think and wonder about it. And I started to wonder, what if Jesus makes it more drawn, a more drawn out process at times to show our dependence and need for him? To remind us that we're human. Maybe he makes it a drawn out process uh, and, and, and waiting process period because he wants to sanctify us and make us more like in our hearts and a, and a longing for our ultimate redemption when we stand before him. Maybe Jesus makes us wait to stir our affections greater for eternity. So when Jesus makes us take this time to do the hard work of healing and to rely on him for healing, I wonder if that making us take that time is actually an act of love on his part. Because Jesus keeps the big picture in mind. The big picture of redemption. So we need to ask, we need to show up. We need to wait. But we also need to anticipate. Because the reality is, we may never be fully healed in this life. And so because we may never be fully healed in this life, if, we, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we look to eternity. 
that one day we will be in his presence. And when we're in his presence, it'll be more real than we're even sitting in this room. That one day we will be in his presence. We will be healed. We will be redeemed. And all will be made right. But as we wait, as we anticipate, we must remember that even in our most feeble attempts to trust Jesus, his grace covers us. So we just need to show up. We need to wait. We need to anticipate because the beauty of Jesus is because we are not lost in the crowd before Jesus. Just like the blind men, just like the woman with chronic bleeding, we are not lost in the crowd before Jesus. He knows you, he cares, he loves you, and he was strong enough to have our sin and our anger and our questions and our doubts, our pain, our grief, placed upon him on the cross and to die for it. And that's why we take communion every week. To remind us that Jesus is trustworthy, that he provides healing for us. As we take this bread, we are reminded that his body was broken for us. And then as we take that bread and we dip it into the juice, we are reminded that his blood was shed for our life. And as we do this, as we, as we take this liturgy and this worship, we declare to ourselves and to each other that the grace of Jesus covers us even in our most feeble attempts to trust him. So in just a moment, we'll have some servers here at the end of these aisles, and you can come and, and take of the Lord's Supper. We'll also have, we also have a, a gluten-free option here at this table. You can serve yourself there. If for COVID reasons, you're just trying to be cautious. We also have some pre-packaged this. But as we take of communion, let's remember that the grace of Jesus covers even our most feeble attempts to trust him. So when you're ready... Come to the table and trust Jesus.